talk in your old man voice. Yeah. Eh, your pres- put your preservation pants on. <laughs> Pres- <laughs> preservation. They're called Depends. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Arcaspeak Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. Each episode, Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and I have a casual conversation about all things architecture, and we invite you to listen in as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the blocks of Carbusier's City of Tomorrow more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we stand around the water cooler and talk about why we love our chosen profession. It's time for some Arcaspeak. Welcome to episode 44 of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxel. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this week, we're going to start off with a few follow-up items. And our first follow-up is we want to mention that the Equity by Design Symposium coming up on October 18th is actually sold out. So congratulations to them. And um, Arcaspeak is a sponsor of that event. And we will be there, or at least one of us will be there. <laughs> so if we'll you're there... We'll be there in spirit. Yes, yes. Um, so if you are going to be there, uh, I will actually be there and... Um, I'll be doing some interviews, and uh, we'll be doing an episode after the symposium uh, to talk about it and uh, what happened, and we'll share those interviews, and I think we'll actually have a guest on from the uh, the Equity by Design Symposium team. So uh, we're looking forward to uh, being a part of that, and that's, uh, again, coming up on October 18th. Where is that? That is in San Francisco. San Francisco. That's right. Yes, that's why. Town. That's why I will be there because right. it's Home a little short part ride to me for me. Home of Neil's new football team. Shut up! <laughs> Just shut the hell up! Right there. Oh, I see. Is that how this night's going to go? Okay. <laughs> sniping. He's just how, sniping. How did that team baseball team of yours do today? Got a heckler in the front row. All right. Okay. Moving so moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Uh, another follow-up item is uh, we really appreciate uh, people that call into the show. And we've had a few uh, lately and over the summer, and we kind of wanted to follow up on uh, a few of these calls and discuss uh, some of what was uh, said and you know, kind of give a little bit of feedback. So uh, we had an anonymous caller uh, this summer f- uh, from Queens, New York, uh, discussing some comments about episode 39, which was our seriously millennials episode hey guys i'm listening to the millennials episode and i there's too much to type and happen to be walking the dog at the moment so there was no way to do some typing but i think the the thing that's being missed here is he's kind of making the original author nathaniel there is kind of making two separate arguments he didn't frame it's not woven together very well so i understand why this became one piece but what he's really talking about is what kind of work architects are doing and how this next generation of architects may not want to do it. And on that front, I can sympathize. 
I came into the industry as a lighting designer who wanted to work on sustainability projects, and lo and behold, I found that the work that paid bills often did not care about sustainability. Um, and I think that's what he's railing against more than the idea of hard work or more than the idea that your boss is supposed to be fulfilling you and you can't find your own fulfillment. Um, I, I've, I felt his frustration when I first got into the business. I saw a lot of work that I didn't want to be doing. And so on that score, I sympathized. Um, the tone is what I think you guys were reacting to more than maybe the content because, you know, in several different ways, he, he sort of inoculates himself against the it's not that I don't want to work hard argument. Um, those things weren't quoted when you guys were talking about it. So I think you were reacting more to his tone than to the content. So I don't know if you guys want to make some comments about that or... Well, I would, I would give him that. I mean, it's hard, you, it's hard not to react to the tone. And I think most of the comments, I think you were saying this the other night, Cormac, right? Yeah. It's like, (laughs) I think everybody reacted that way. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, everybody had the more visceral reaction of, you know, how dare he, and, and even, you know, people that were self-described millennials themselves, um, in the comments, you know, were saying, oh, he's full of it. And, you know, the, uh, author of the article. And uh, Nathaniel Eck, I believe. Yes, and and I and I can agree that you know most millennials that I've met are willing to put in the work. I mean, when I say met that that work at our firm, and you know they they're willing to put in the work. They're willing to what I felt was what uh, Nathaniel was slighting was they're willing to put in the uh, pay their dues. And, you know, I think my reaction was, is that he didn't, and it wasn't the tone. It was just, he was saying that, you know, we're not going to pay the dues. We're not going to do the toilet room plans. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. You know, we want to just jump right in and do, you know, the stellar work and stuff. And, you know, I could, I'm somewhat kind of watering it down, but, you know, that was, that was my thoughts is that, you know. I think he was just speaking from, you know, whatever experience he was coming from. Uh, and maybe he saw, you know, kind of a little more old school that, you know, says, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. But, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I kind of I kind of think, you know, I feel like there's some days I feel like like him, too. Um, and then there are <laughs> I feel like I'm on the cusp of between the two generations for sure. Um, oh, yeah. And so, you know, when when I see. When I read it, there's there's half of my my brain. My reaction is, yeah, this is the I, I have this passion as well, and then the other half of it, I, I see both sides of it. But um, so I, yes, I think the tone was was off putting, and I do think we were definitely reacting to that, especially you, Neil. But um, <laughs> I think that uh, go back and listen to that rant. That was yeah, pretty good. That was a good rant. Yeah. Um, you know, like like you said, Cormac, I, I work with millennials, too, and I think you're right. People do, man, work really hard. Uh, oh, yeah. And at the same time, it's like, why do we... The, the beauty of, of millennials is, why do we do it this way? Right? Because I think a lot of times we are just stuck in doing things the way we've always done them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like my kids, their favorite question is, Why? And I mm-hmm. think it's a really valuable thing to revisit all the time. Yeah, why do we do it this way? There's new ways to do this. Uh, oh, absolutely. So, and look, yeah. you know, if if the millennials and Nathaniel and, and anyone else um, 
has a better way of doing it or a more efficient way um, that doesn't sacrifice, you know, quality of design, quality of documentation, um, life safety, you know, all of the things that we have to worry about. You know, if they can come up with a better, more efficient way, you would be, you know, you shouldn't be in the profession if you're not willing to move forward. Um, so, you know, hey. Well, I I think that there's jobs for many different types of people in architecture, but I think you're talking about well, people like, yeah, people like us, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to say that. But. Well, I'm just saying that, you know, I mean, we've got, I'm hoping, a few more decades of, uh, of time in the profession, and, you know, we're going to have to change. We're going to have to keep up with the times, and, you know, I think, you know, definitely, Evan, you are, <laughs> you're more than willing to, you know, keep up with uh, modern technology and everything else and right. that funny, you know, talky phony thing and everything else. <laughs> but, you know, unlike Neil, you know, who still uses a mimeograph machine. <laughs> you know? I think Neil dropped off the call. <laughs> I'm still <He's>... here. <laughs> I'm just let, let uh, keep talking there. <laughs> I'm crafting my telegraph to you right now. But uh, chiseling it into the stone. <laughs> I'll send you a fax. <laughs> this damn carbon. Where paper. were you? I don't you know anymore. <laughs> all right, all right. Good. But, I think we kind of talked that one out, though. I mean, go back and listen to episode thirty-nine for our comments to it, and we we do appreciate the call and the follow-up. Uh, you know, from our listener in Queens. So, uh, you know, if, if you think we're, we, you know, he was we, out walking the dog. I think he got cut off at the yeah, end. Yeah. Maybe. So that maybe, maybe that's so. why we don't know who it was, but yeah, they didn't mention their name at the beginning. So if you, uh, if the caller's listening yeah. and they, uh, they did mention their name, sorry, it, it did get cut off at the end. I think we have like a three minute limit on the, on the voicemail. So, yes. so go speak. to the comments of this show and let us know who you were. Yes, absolutely. Cause we do and, appreciate the comments. For sure. Yep. Speaking of three-minute limits, our next caller uh, who left uh, had to leave two messages because he uh, rambled on a little bit. Uh, he didn't ramble on, actually. We he ran out of tape. He right? ran out of he tape. Was, That's right. Yeah. So Jeff Eccles um, ran out of mini tapes. Yes. He, he cool. ran out of tape, and so he left, uh, left us a couple of messages. Uh, but he was calling in and uh, referring to episode 42, where we talked about architects' websites. He doesn't know anything about that. No, no, no he's totally clueless. But Architect uh, of the internet, Jeff <laughs> No, Jeff's a great guy. That's uh, his website, architectoftheinternet.com. That's right. The, we'll have links in the show notes for that. So have you signed up for your show notes? Go to the website, arcaspeakpodcast.com, and on the right-hand side of practically every page, you can sign up for those show notes and have them delivered to you as the podcast goes live. So, so you can follow along. And yes, you can follow along so you won't forget. So anyway, Jeff uh, Jeff had some good comments about uh, episode 42 and, and um, talking about uh, pricing and, uh, you know, his, his comment about giving it away is, you know, and providing helpful information, uh, how it hel- helps establish you as an expert. And uh, he also made some comments about uh, qualifying your leads and... Um, and then also, too, about uh, websites and, and not necessarily making them a portfolio. And I think that's what some of his other comments was kind of backing that up. It's like, don't just make it a portfolio, but 
provide that helpful information, give away information, and you'll find that your your clients will appreciate that and they'll see that you're the expert here and they're going to want to hire you and use that website as as that device. Hello? Hey guys, it's Jeff Eccles from Architect of the Internet. I just finished listening to your uh, episode number 42, Architect's Websites, and I have to tell you, I uh, ranged uh, in emotions from laughing out loud at one point to nearly spitting out my coffee. Uh, obviously, the uh, topic is close to my heart and uh, what I write about on my site. And yes, I, I think at some point, uh, if you had done this live in studio with with Enoch and Mark LePage, you probably would have been beaten about the uh, head and shoulders uh, by those guys at, at one point. But uh, I want to throw out a couple things to think about or a couple of examples uh, from outside our industry, one being Ryan Hanley from um, Content Warfare Podcast. He's an insurance guy, and at one point he – spent 100 days shooting 100 short videos all about uh, the insurance industry, why you need this insurance, what this insurance is, uh, all kinds of examples that are helpful to people who are shopping for insurance. Uh, That goes uh, to the comment, I think, of uh, make your website helpful and the content that's on your website. The other thing I wanted to uh, speak to was the idea of posting your pricing uh, on your website, uh, for better or for worse. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard of Sales Lion, Marcus Sheridan. Uh, he started out as a swimming pool guy, right? He wrote a uh, book. Uh, it's like uh, Swimming Pool 101 or something like that. But uh, anyway, he, he advocates for posting your pricing. Obviously, he's in a different industry. Uh, they're selling swimming pools. They're not providing professional services. But... Um, he uses his book and his pricing as a way to uh, qualify leads, which is uh, one thing you guys were uh, were alluding to in your discussion. But it, it's an incredible, uh, incredibly, uh, almost mind-blowing example of the way Marcus does things for his swimming pool company, River Pools and Spas in Virginia. But uh, if, if you haven't read his Swimming Pools 101, the salesperson doesn't come to the appointment. They postpone it. You know, they ask you some questions to figure out whether or not you've read it. Uh, if you, like I said, if you haven't read it, you don't get uh, get the appointment with the salesperson. So it really, it's a way that they've really been able to focus their marketing and sales activities like you guys were talking about. You know, we at 110 Studio here, uh, we can spend multiple hours and, and, and you know, exponentially uh, manpower hours uh, interviewing potential clients who... Hey, guys. Jeff Eccles from Architect of the Internet again. Sorry, looks like I've had too much coffee already this morning, and I ran your tape out. Anyway, uh, to sum up what I was saying, uh, be helpful on your website. Give helpful information like you said, uh, you used the chef analogy. I, I wrote a post not long ago about uh, giving it all away on social media, uh, and, that, and that's exactly right. We have experience and expertise that even though we, we give the ingredients, uh, our experience and expertise cannot be 
repeated or used by people that don't don't have the same. So don't be afraid to give away helpful information. It only establishes you as an expert and and establishes your value. And then uh, to the uh, Marcus Sheridan example, qualify your leads as as best you can before you spend any time meeting with them, whether that's putting pricing uh, on your website or, or writing a, a Architecture 101 uh, ebook or, or like Merica's posts, which are fantastic. I'm glad you guys used that example. Uh, those are great ways that uh, we can make our websites better. And do not design them as a portfolio. Do not make your website for we enjoy looking at them, but we're not going to hire you. Make sure you're making your website for the people that, uh, that uh, you want to become your clients. I think you guys are spot on all the way through the uh, episode. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. Really appreciate what you're doing there. Thanks. My wife's kind of going through the same thing with her cleaning business. She removed her phone number from the website and from her Yelp page because she's spending way too much time on the phone trying to qualify clients, right? And so what she has now is online forms, and I think that's kind of what this guy has done here, is where you get all the information you need from him exactly how he wants to get it out, and then once you've digested all that, then he'll talk to you. And I thought, you know, this is a pretty smart way to get rid of the, the, the people who are just out there kind of, you know, trying to, you know, you've talked about this before, Neil, where, where people are just trying to get get a, a number out of you real quick so that they can go to somebody else and, and, well, and shop I, it around. So. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's a problem I've been going through the last several weeks, actually, where people have been uh, contacting me uh, through my website, which is which is fantastic. And I, I appreciate everybody doing that. Uh, but, you know, you go out, you meet with them. And even if you, you know, can only spend an hour, you're, you're going to spend time coordinating, just setting up the meeting. You spend an hour or more talking to them. You come back to the office, you, um, you know, spend, a, you know, maybe another hour. Uh, and I know some other people um, that we know online, you know, spend a lot more time, depending on their types of projects, well, you know, preparing um, a proposal. And in my case, doing some smaller remodels and, and additions, there's um, not a lot to do in preparing that proposal. There's some work, but, you know, so you, you spend a little bit of time and you send it out and you follow up with them. And then they're like, yeah, no, I actually found, and this actually happened to me just this last week. You know, I mean, this guy came back. He's like, no, well, I appreciate, uh, appreciate you, your proposal, but I found somebody to do it for half that price. Yeah, and I think, you know, even with the 100 tips kind of a thing, what the guy's uh, doing is establishing value, right? And this is what we talked about in the Architects Websites episode. I mentioned Merica McKeel's website. There's Build LLC's website, which is an awesome resource for architects and for for, uh, people who are interested in kind of the nuts and bolts of architecture as well. You give this information away um, because all of these things, you know, without context of a site and specific codes and all the things that actually go into getting a project built they you know you can't do a project without that stuff so you're not going to lose out on any business by giving away these really great tips and ideas and things like that because what what you're doing is establishing yourself as the expert that you actually are right and they get to kind of get a feel for your voice and your insight and your aesthetic and you know however you want to position yourself but then if people feel like they might be a good fit with you, 
then they're going to call you and they're going to they're not going to balk at the price as much because they know what you're providing has value. You've already given them value. Yeah. They're willing to take it to the next level at that point. Yeah, that's it's all good points and things I, you know, I should take some of my some of that advice as well and 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 uh improve things on my own website to try and uh, you know, give people an idea. One thing I've started to try and do is for a lot for some of these additions remodels they're, they're pretty small and i kind of have an idea of roughly what i'm going to charge and so i'll give them a, a range when i'm first meeting with them just to kind of gauge their reaction you know or it's, are they freaking out oh my god or at least give them an opportunity so that when they get the proposal they're not completely blown out of the water oh my god you know you're going to charge us how much and you know somebody else and so um, so anyway, Jeff, Jeff had some great comments. We appreciate those. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot more we can all do with our websites and, um, and actually Cormac, you wanted to make a comment cause that's the episode. I think we talked a little bit about pricing. Uh, yes. That's when Cormac had a little bit of a, I'm going to blame it on lack of sleep because unlike the, uh, you know, two West coasters there. Um, who are doing this typically around nine o'clock. If you extrapolate it to the East coast, that's midnight and beyond. Um, I, uh, just man I, up, man. No excuses. Come on. Come on. I have to give some excuse. Be army strong. Okay. I was wrong. I, <laughs> I erroneously said that AIA has standard, um, standardized, um, pricing and, uh, it was wrong. Um, I, I, you know what? And here's the funny thing. I know that, uh, that that's not the, the case. And for some reason, I still said it. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> as we do, as we do, I think so, that happens a lot on this podcast, actually. Yeah. So, um, for all of you guys who are just like, that's wrong. You're wrong. We've issued a retraction. You, you are absolutely right. I was. Boom. That was easy. I have another follow up here. Um, a couple episodes ago, we, put out the call for iTunes reviews. And specifically, I called out the Entrepreneur Architect podcast, and we were tied up, right? Or did we have one more, something like we that? Had, we had think, one more. Well, we we did, but then when, uh, when Mark did his episode, he said we were tied. Okay, so since then, he now has 50 reviews... And we now have, I'm pulling it up right now. We still have 47. Oh, this is horrible. So, so, so clearly all of, all three of our listeners have gone over to the Entrepreneur Architect uh, podcast and left their reviews over there. They, they mistakenly went to the wrong podcast. All right. If you guys can hold on a minute, I'm, I'm going to uh, delete that from my listening. Um, <laughs> I... No longer subscribe to Entrepreneur Architect. Hmm. Take that, Mark. <laughs> Live without me. Yeah, he needs you. <laughs> All so, that hey, money you were on. offering. How, yeah. how did that work? I don't. It was that that just w- reversed on us. I don't see how what happened there. But I don't know. Yeah, but we we need the Architect Nation to show up strong here and help us out. You, you tried to pull that parent psychology and said, "No, don't do it." Right. And then they did Don't it. Don't push the red button. <laughs> exactly. Gosh. Is that the green pill or the red pill? I forget. Yeah, it's the blue pill. The blue pill. Sorry. Oh, it's Jeez. been a long time. Sorry. 
Yeah, that was like 99. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, all right, well, and now since we've thrown Mark under the bus, uh, <laughs> Evan, you... For us had to a, win, he must lose. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Uh, okay. the, the total Highlander, um, you know, <laughs> it's the, pod, the Highlander podcast here. So we had another, we had a great comment actually on the we website. Did. We had a great comment from Dustin Alshul, who uh, is a student right now. And let's see, we were talking about um, value engineering at the time. And we were talking about how a lot of that uh, type of painful, painful process does not happen in design studio when in school. And so he, he has a rather lengthy comment on the end of episode 43. So if you go to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash episodes slash 43, you can read Dustin's comment. But um, he has a really great take on what he did to kind of take his uh, future into his own hands, where he spent some time in an undergrad architecture program, and he was only able to stand the the so-called fluff for a year. And then he, he felt like he needed to go get a more uh, I, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but I'll just say a more realistic um, experience of the architectural profession. So he transferred into a BS of architectural engineering technology. And it sounds like um, it has been, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been really effective for him. And he's gotten some of the experiences that we have been kind of bemoaning here on, this, on the podcast regarding value engineering. And sounds like they're working with directly with CM students engineering students they're working in design they're kind of doing all of these different disciplines together and it sounds like a, a pretty cool thing it's happening at uh where is it lawrence tech lawrence tech in yeah. detroit it's in the uh suburbs of detroit and uh i mean and uh i've, I've talked with uh dustin before and you know him being a, a michigander and you know pulling up my michigander roots and and we've talked and he and you know, he gets actively involved. Is there an accent that goes along with that? Uh, yes, it's called the English language. <laughs> um, most people don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry, we had I had that conversation with some Marylanders today because um, they were picking on me and another guy, and we have absolutely no accent. But unlike my wife, who has one, uh, I won't do that. Uh, anyway, let's keep her but, out of that. <laughs> um, but uh, um, and he gets really actively involved with a lot of different, um, both like uh, urban issues in the Detroit area, and um, in design, you know, um, design issues. I think like the uh, TED Talks, uh, TED Detroit, and stuff like that. Um, you know, in so I gotta give him a shout out that he's doing something that most people in school either usually don't have time for or, or whatever, but he is taking his, um, you know, he, he's taking his, uh, future in his own hands and making exactly what he wants out of his, you know, out of his education. And he's forcing his education to do what he wants. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's great. And I, I think more people, I think a lot of kids do that in school, but then they kind of lose, lose their steam once they start getting into the profession. Um, and I, I just, I, th I think that, you know, just, just by the few interactions that I've had with him and stuff, I don't think this kid's going to be losing any steam anytime soon. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, that's awesome, so, and we so really appreciate comment. the comment. Yeah, yeah, go check out that comment. There'll be a link in the podcast to that episode where you can see his comment. There were a lot of good comments on that episode, too. Oh, yeah. I know Steve Hall had a huge thing about browsers and standards and multiple websites and hiring the, the professional to do it. So some good insight. Lots of good insight on there. Yep. So check it out. Check out the comments on these uh, on the episode entries on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com slash episodes. And then when you go into each episode, you can see the comments. And we'll also have a link to uh, Jeff Eckel's site, uh, Architect of the Internet. Yeah, tons um, of good info on there about uh, social media, blogging, you know, all that stuff that takes time to do, but but everybody wonders how to do it. So. Yes. Good go stuff. find out. Didn't you start a website, Cormac? I yeah, did. Just you did. Might as well mention it so that you get some hits on it, and, and maybe that'll uh, entice you to keep writing. Crap. So I got to put that now in the show notes? Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I fi- finally, you know, and I, I even got a shout-out from Bob. Like, you know, his was, it's about time. Sh- shout-out yeah. from Bob? Wow. He, like, he just basically told me it was about time. Um, it's true. And it is. Uh, I finally got com up and running. How much did um, that cost you? Jeez. It did. Somebody owned that one, and they got they charged you what a couple grand for uh, that I domain. Had to, I had to actually, I had to track them down and fight them for it. Yeah, you know. Street Fighter. Exactly. I like no. the logo. That's cool. You know, it, it's it's obviously a work in progress. Um, you know, I hope to uh, one day, you know, be to the you know at least fifty percent quality of what Evans' site's going on. Oh, and if you haven't thanks, checked man. out Evan Troxel's website, you oh, must. Man. Thanks, man. Um, he's got some Sweet. real. Hey, seriously, you know, go. I'm telling everybody to go look at his uh, photographs and stuff. He's he's got some good stuff up there. It's not just architecture. It's it's definitely not just There's architecture. There's more to life There's, than architecture. Hate right. To, hate to say it, listeners. Hopefully. You know, and in, in right now it's starting off basically as a uh, um, a WordPress. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a basic WordPress one, and you know, I've tried to. Um, customize it as much as possible but uh you know it'll evolve it'll become more later on but you know i just i needed to give myself that push to get get it right yeah it's awesome and so one of the things that you did it for though was for the uh architox thing right exactly you should probably exactly. mention what that is so that people know I, i'm sure that not everybody knows what architox is well haven't we all been involved hey, with uh, have, yeah. at least I know that you have and I have. Um, yeah, Neil, you Neil did the first one, and did you do the second one, Neil? What are you guys talking about? Architox, the Architox. Oh, I did. <laughs> oh yeah. Jeez. Sorry. Oh, I joined the show. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, I did the just first one. I missed the second <laughs> one, and um, I got the invite for the next one, and I I got to review that. That's coming up. The next one, I've already yeah. actually started writing, and I'm quite excited about it, because nice. it's really good. I, I just love the topic. And this is not an exclusive uh, club at all. Um, anybody who wanted to get in on the Architox kind of... Uh, it's just a, a way for us to, to talk more about um, the profession, and it's real loose. It's, it's very loose on purpose, so that um, we get a huge variety in the topic. Um, and Bob Borson over at Life of an Architect is putting this together. He kind of heads it up. And once a month, we post um, everybody's talking with this, has the same title 
and then they kind of interpret it their own way. Right. So if you want to get involved in that, um, let us know, and we'll we'll add your name to the list. Yeah. And so Cormac has it on his side, and I've got it on my side, and Neil has it on his. Uh, there was there's been two so far, and if you do the search for the hashtag Architox on Twitter, you can see all of the people's um, who are involved. You can see all of their articles and. You know, they're they're short to medium length articles and sometimes they have images and sometimes not. Um and the last one was called It's Exciting and so you kinda get to interpret what that means to you and and so I, I wrote about how project uh, actually starting construction is probably the most exciting thing for me. Um so Architox, check it out on Twitter and check it out on our sites. Perfect. All right. So that leads to another uh follow up that we're gonna probably spend the rest of the episode on. And this one was sent to us uh, voicemail through Rusty Long. Hello. Gentlemen, hello. This is Rusty Long, architect and podcast listener. Love what you guys do with the show. Thought I would bring up a subject that uh, is of importance to me personally and hopefully some of you guys. Uh, an interesting project going on in Raleigh, North Carolina. that's gotten a lot of press, both positive and negative. A Contemporary house that's under construction uh, in the historic Oakwood district, uh, designed by architect Lewis Cherry. Recently got a lot of press in the New York Times. Uh, everyone from Ariel Allison area uh, to North Carolina's preservation, North Carolina uh, head, uh, Mira Coward, has, has weighed in on this structure. It's a contemporary house in a historic district. It doesn't really mesh with the existing style, but does meet the guidelines uh, set forth in the district. And I thought it would be interesting to hear what you guys have to say, uh, particularly Neil, because I know he is also on uh, a planning board. Myself, I'm the chairman of my city's historic preservation board. Uh, it's just an interesting house uh, and an interesting sort of battle over this house that's uh, not really that contemporary, uh, but also it's not a one-off copy of an 18th century structure like many of the others uh, that have been attempted uh, in that same district. So would love to hear what you guys have to say about it. Again, my name is Rusty Long. Look forward to hearing from you guys. I, I mean, basically, for those of you that don't know, this is um, a house that uh, that Lewis Cherry and his wife uh, were building. Uh, Marsha, Marsha Gordon is her name. And it's in outside of Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, in this historic uh, district of Oakwood. And basically, they, they went through the entire process. They went through a, a lengthy uh, review process. Um, they, uh, through the Historic Preservation Commission, I think he mentions uh, several articles about a four-hour meeting, and they made some changes, and basically, you know, moved, got their approval, got their building permit, and started construction. This all started, I think, around uh, this time last year, about October last year. And so uh, around February, I believe it was, the um, a person who was uh, against the project, actually, at the Historic Preservation Commission, um, ended up suing um, Mr. Cherry and basically got the house stopped construction. Now, one of the articles here that we'll be uh, linking to does mention that they, Mr. Cherry was able to sue to have the house at least completed so that it wasn't uh, open 
to the to the weather and exposed to the weather. So there was a, a little legal back and forth that allowed him to at least button up the house. Uh, but it is not complete. Basically, the permit got pulled. And it's been going back and forth through, uh, you know, legal the legal process right now, uh, at least over the summer. Um, yeah, and it was I was kind of sitting in limbo for a it while. It was sitting in limbo, yeah. It's, um, so, but it raised a lot of questions about, you know, is, you know, about historic districts, about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And I think that's kind of um, where we could probably talk about this, you know, yeah, a little bit tonight. So. Even beyond that, then it becomes about, it does become about aesthetics and opinions and people legally threatening. Um, it just, it turned into a giant mess. But, but if, if they got a permit, they went through the appropriate processes and then they were stopped. Well, that was the, the, now the board of adjustment, the board of in. adjustment was, invoked here to re- and they were told at the time this was back in february that uh essentially the board of adjustment reviews the process that the historic development commission goes through to make sure that all the rules and procedures were properly followed they don't necessarily to the initial permit right to to initial the or I mean to give the initial approval right. so that they could obtain a building permit which they mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. so this uh, board of adjustment essentially just reviews the rules and procedures, and they don't necessarily weigh in on the um, the decision by the Historic Development Commission. And so they were told at the time, you know, when it first started, that you know this should be no no issues because everything was followed. Well, it turned out they you know through some lobbying or I you know whatever. Uh, that was overturned. And so they said they didn't follow these rules and procedures. Well, they said that the, the Board of Adjustment yeah. voted three to two that there had been, and this is in quotes, no rational basis for the Historic Development right. Commission approving the house. Right. And they revoked his building permit. Yep. It was illegal to continue building from that point forward. Right. Yeah, I read, uh, I'm, I'm reading another article that I'll send off uh, as part of the show notes is they used incorrect standard of review and um, substituted their own judgment uh, for approving his building a permit. <laughs> oh, well, okay. There are people on these boards, right? There are. It, 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 let me, yeah, let me, geez. let me interject here. I, I was on the historic preservation commission in my local town here, and I'm now a planning commissioner in that, in the same town. And that's, part of why you are on these commissions. I mean, it is for you to certainly follow any rules or standards, I should say, guidelines. But also know when you can break them, right? Well, not necessarily break them, but the whole idea is that, at least in in my town, in here in in Livermore, California, you know, we we have, um, I wouldn't say standards, but we have guidelines that, you know, uh, give us direction on how to approach whether something is historical or not. And then we, uh, there's always the, um, you know, the government has their standards uh, for, for these, uh, their, their rules as well. And so, you know, we really fall back to those and we refer to those, but, you know, part of the reason you are on this board, part of the reason there are, you know, typically five, sometimes seven people on this is so that you can interject your own 
personal beliefs and and your impo- personal uh, uh, interpretations of these things, because nothing is written in stone to the, where it says you can build X, but you can't build Y. They're not written that way. They're written more as guidelines and for us to make interpretations. And that's why you interview for these positions. Hopefully you have some uh, background in the board or commission that you're going to be appointed to. And so that you can interject those, those personal experiences to your decision-making process. So to find that these people did that and that that was wrong, I just find that completely unbelievable that they could make such a decision. Yeah. Crazy. Well, you know, and... And I, overturn the approval, basically. Right. Right. Well, I just went through, you know, basically the same process with um, the uh, Annapolis Elementary School um, uh, design. And, you know, it's in historic Annapolis. And their um, city of Annapolis has, and I'm actually looking at it right now on the old interwebs, uh, building in the fourth century. Basically, it's uh, design guidelines for... Um, building within the historic district of, of Annapolis. You know, it's a 90 page document and it basically goes through all of the different things that you could do both in additions, renovations, uh, modernizations of historic properties and everything else. And so basically when they're going through, there really isn't any um, area of interpretation because they've through a pretty um, lengthy process developed this manual. Plus it's also, um, used in conjunction with the, um, is it the, uh, Department of Interior's, um, uh, historic preservation guidelines, standards and guidelines. Yeah. That, right, that was right. what I was referring and, to, and but so I couldn't they, remember the name, you know, so, yeah. and they use all of the, you know, there's, there's so many different, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on exactly what they're called, but, but basically, you know, the Department of Interior has, um, all bulletins, um, is what they're called. All these different bulletins of, you know, how you would do a, um, um, a renovation or a replacement of a standing sea metal roof in a historic district. And they'll go and explain it. So there's really no, you know, gray area. And right. so, and if you're doing a new building, you know, nine times out of 10, even in, you know, historic Annapolis, they're going to tell you they don't, they want the building to be of the time, not I want you to go and mimic something from 200 years ago. Oh, we want the building of the time. And, you know, if you want that, go buy that, but don't build it. I mean, it's a terrible thing, I think, to, right. to build a fake historical. Well, you know, in, in again, like if, you know, reading just the Annapolis Historic District Design Manual, I mean, they'll explain that they don't want you to try to mimic something because that was a period that was a period what we don't live in anymore right we can't do that anymore um you know so they want you to take styling cues they want you know if you're doing an an addition you know or a hyphen as you know they want you to do something that is appropriate to the that existing building something that is subservient to the building and not dominant to the building you know and so they'll, they'll talk about all sorts of different things but there's no gray area so when when, you know, um, Lewis Cherry went and submitted his design and went through the whole process, they weren't using a personal judgment. They were using the rules and regulations that they had at their disposal 
And you could see that it was a three to two decision. So, you know, some people were like, yeah, well, that you know, was maybe the after. Not. I don't, I don't yeah, know that, if they mentioned yeah. what the, Oh what yeah, the that's right. That was, was the, that was to revoke it. Um, right. Uh, right. but I mean, you know, he, he went well, through they the did process. modify. They did have to go right. through modification. So, you know, in, you know, we have a link to the, um, to the Google, uh, Google Maps, where you can basically walk through the neighborhood Street and take view. a look at all of the different, um, all the different houses that are in there. And, you know, you can use your own personal judgment on whether or not, you know, the house is in keeping with, you know, uh, scale and size and this and that and the other. But I mean, you know, it's no, it, it's, it's not this blatantly offensive modernist home that, you know, is completely foreign in material and scale to any of the other houses that are there. Uh, It's it's really simple. I think maybe what, what we had kind of mentioned was that it's probably the worst thing about it is just it's big flat wall presence right on the street. Right. You know, know, the massing of the project is, is a little bit odd for the walking by on the street. When we first started talking about it, I mean, I, I, I took a little bit of an issue with, the way that the scale of the house so close to the road is in comparison to some of the other houses that they've got their front porch to the fr- uh, to closer to the street. And so it brings that down to a more human human scale rather than, you know, a big blank wall, like, you know, Evan just said. And so, you know, I mean, in every, you know, everybody who will probably be following these links will have their own opinion of the house, good, bad, or indifferent. But, you know, I think we're more, you know, kind of taken aback on the actual efforts that it was take, you know, that other, you know, that everybody else based off of their own design sensibilities was either, you know, for or against this project. And in this particular case, shutting it down. But I did just link, um, I did just uh, post, so it'll be in the, the show notes where they basically were approved to um, continue the, to complete the construction. Yeah. Uh, that went before well, the give us, give us the update. So, um, it, cause I haven't read that one yet. Uh, it was originally posted on September 11th, 2014 and updated on the 25th of September. Modica, modern Oakwood home construction can continue judge rules. So yeah, and if it's on uh, newsobserver.com. And uh, the the judge determined the city's board of adjustment overstepped its authority when it yanked approvals for the modernist house, and uh, the board of adjustment improperly reweighed the evidence and substituted its own judgment for that of the Raleigh Historic Development Commission. She wrote, yeah. "So construction is to resume, and it was already nearly complete." So uh, here yeah, we go. I, th- I think uh, in some of the other articles they were talking about that it was. Uh, you know, nearing 85% when everything was, you know, yanked on it. Yeah. Um, I think that was the New York, was it the New York times article? Yeah. Um, I think so. Yeah. It says that the, the neighbor is going to appeal. (laughs) Yeah. They have 30 days to appeal. So the, the, the story on this is not over yet, but I think, you know, what this raises is the question of, you know, what about our neighborhoods? Because, you know, there's certainly districts like what you're talking about, Cormac, in Annapolis, and you, and you more so probably on the East Coast, where you do have, um, 
you know, larger developments that took place over a you know relatively short period of time that have stayed relatively intact. And so to try and drop something into the center of Annapolis, you know, might not be the most appropriate thing. But out here on the West Coast, you know, a lot of our, you know, developments aren't that old, you know, in consider in in comparing them to stuff built on the East Coast. And so, you know, our our neighborhoods, I happen to live in an older neighborhood in, in Livermore here. And, you know, there's there's homes from, say, the turn of the last century on up, and they're sprinkled with all the different styles. And what's really interesting about the neighborhood that I'm in is that there'll be styles from the, you know, uh, the teens in the 1920s um, up to the 40s. And then there's a lot of stuff from the 50s. And then there's even stuff from, you know, a little bit done in the 70s. And then right across the street from me is a development that was built um on an old college site here in town that was all built in the eighties. So we have a mix of different styles and the neighborhood has, uh, grown and, you know, um, just has, it has this different mix of different styles. And so that, that's what makes it charming. That's what's most interesting about that. And so to sake, you know, this particular house, uh, that we're talking about here and say, you know, it's not appropriate for this particular neighborhood. Now, I, I've never toured this neighborhood, and other than looking at the Google Street View, uh, it's really hard to kind of get a, a good sense of the neighborhood. Um, but there seems to be, you know, some different styles, at least according to some of the articles written. There's been some more modern homes that have been built in this district uh, before, and so it doesn't seem necessarily out of the ordinary here. So, and then. You know, just as I was reading these articles, I was trying to think, the, the first thing that came to my mind is um, the, uh, the the Louvre in Paris and thinking of, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, the, the modern. Well, there's, yeah, there's so many examples of that kind of thing where it's been basically transplanted in there, you know, right, right. As a, as a, as a piece of modern architecture, which is contrasting to. Yeah, it's just just so that nobody's confused, right? Right. And in fact, the Secretary of Interior Standards even says if you're going to add on to an historic structure, now this is different from maybe a historical district here, but if you've got an historical building you're adding on to it, you can't actually match right. that existing style. Exactly. You have to be different. And so that you're not creating that false history. Right. You know, you again, like I said, you know, you take the um as you know, and I, I went through six, was it six or eight? It was an even number too, because I, it would just seem like it, it drug on forever. So let's just say eight, you know, but, um, eight different board meetings, um, where we met with them, we reviewed it, um, you know, maybe eights with including with the uh, staff meetings and stuff like that. But, you know, at least six times where we sat in front of them, you know, including the public hearings um, where we went through, we talked about our, our design. They gave, they basically told us where within the um, design guidelines we were wrong and we needed to, you know, review them and change them. But, you know, basically, you know, you go through all of these different points of what you're trying to do and you'd say, okay, I'm, you know, meeting, you know, chapter 10.1.5 because we believe it's this instead of that. And they're like, well, no, 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 I think you're reading it wrong. 
and that's why I'm saying is that there there's so much care put into these, you know, design guidelines for, you know, historic districts and stuff that they don't just, I mean, and, and I don't know Raleigh's, you know, um, the, their design guidelines, like I know, you know, the one that I was just recently involved with. So, but I know that there's so many things out there. And if they just followed the department of interiors, the secretary of interiors, like Neil was saying, if they just follow those guidelines, it's very cut and dry on exactly what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do to a historic building. Um, you know, and when you are doing a hyphen or an addition, you're, you, you know, you are very limited in what you can do and what you can't do, you know, and mimicking the style is definitely something that they discourage because, you know, it's not of the appropriate time. And that's why, you know, you'll see multiple different, um, uh, old historic buildings that they're trying to restore back to, you know, their original, um, character, um, they'll actually pull off different, um, you know, different additions because they weren't, you know, because they were trying to mimic the style, but they weren't appropriate to the original. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, here on the East coast, you know, with all of these, I mean, you know, you were saying Annapolis is a pre-colonial colonial development. And so, historic downtown Annapolis. Most of those buildings are, you know, a couple hundred years old. And, um, so it's more or less a time capsule. And so we've got a lot of the, the, you know, obviously we've got tons of that stuff around. And, you know, if you're trying to do a, um, an accurate restoration, you know, then they're going to pretty much strip it clean of all of these like little miscellaneous additions and stuff and then go straight to the heart of it. And then if you want to do an addition, you know, it's again, as I say, of the time I heard the the words of the time so many times in my meetings with the historic district that, uh, I think it's just ingrained in my head that I know that if it, nothing else, you're not going to mimic the, the original design. So Cormac in this one, how would you, how would you say on this house, is this house, of the time in this Oakwood district, you think? If I'm going to break down just the, you know, the design character of this, you know, versus doing, you know, and again, this is all, all based on the Google street view of walking around and looking at all of the different houses, both on this particular street, which just happens to be Euclid street in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, <laughs> if you guys want to walk by there. Um, and then, a couple of other streets, you know, that run parallel and perpendicular to it. And I was looking at them and they're all, you know, of an, you know, the, probably the twenties, um, where it was more of like the craftsman style houses. Um, and you know, they're, uh, wood siding, you know, they've got the front porch. Um, every, almost everything that, all of the, these the uh, components of uh, yeah everything all of the components of the neighborhood are on this guy's house um you know again uh evan and i were talking about the scale and if you look at the way that you know he assembled this versus you know some of the other houses 
I think um, it's a combination of the scale and the setback, right? Because right. a lot I, of I the other houses setback, you know. are pushed back. There's, yes. there's ve- vegetation happening between the street. Uh, now, hold and on house. a second, guys. And now you this look, one's right there. You know, I, but if it, you but look, if you look right across the street, you yes. have the same thing. <laughs> you have the same thing right across the street. I mean, this other house that happens to be the house of the person who's causing the most <laughs> problems for right. the for them. Uh, you know, has a has an element. It's a single story element, but it does oh, yeah, have yeah. a high gabled roof that is virtually the same distance away from the street totally. as his house. Well, and it's you... not nearly the same scale, of course. And she does have a single story porch there, so that does help break down. It's much larger than the porch on the house across the street, but. I mean, so it, it's not, I mean, but if you look down the street, there's a number of houses. They're all, you know, they're porches and or oh, single story elements that are all, you know, pretty close to the street. This is actually a pretty tiny street. I mean, basically yeah. with the cars it, on it each is, side, you're really driving down the yeah. middle and that's it. looks it. like an alley. <laughs> it does look no. like an alley. Yeah, it's but a pretty I mean, small street. To be quite honest with you, I, I think that there's nothing that, you know, his house is doing that... Again, you know, it, it's it's purely a scale thing, but I mean, there's there's nothing element wise that his house is doing that any of the other houses are not doing. They're all doing the same thing. They all right. have the same elements. In fact, I think you know, um, if you take this in a little bit more, you know, critical eye, I mean, his is actually contributing a little bit more because, like, um, if you go down and you look at, uh, you know. Some of the houses, their garage, it, their garage doors and everything are practically right on the street. He's got a yeah, setback yeah. to his garage, so the you know the car is not the front and center of the you know of the area. You know, and 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 I I think he's doing you know things that are a lot better than some of the existing houses. You know, and again, without going through the design guidelines or anything, I mean. I'm sure every bit of, you know, the things that he was doing in this house um, met all of the criterias for that. And that's why they originally approved it. Um, Yeah. You know, and and I think, you know, one of the things you could argue is that, you know, his house, again, going back to the mass, one of the things that is different about building today than it is in the in the previous decades is floor to floor heights are higher. Right. Right. right, And it is two stories right on the street. But he didn't do a high pitch roof. He did a low pitch roof to to bring it back down. Exactly. You know, I'm sure that there are height limits in that in that area. So, I mean, I think that it's just a completely different way to solve the problem. Right. And right. I shouldn't say completely because it's not completely different. It's not like you don't see houses like this all the time. Um, it just happens to be the newest thing. And so when it's right across the street from you. And you, the first thing you do when you look out your window every day, when you used to see an empty lot, right? right. And now you see this thing. Um, that's where the real problem is coming from, I think. It's well, just that oh, yeah. there's all of a sudden this new thing there that I have to look at every day. Well, guys, how much do you think this is being driven? Now, certainly there are def. I mean, it's not just this one person living across the street, although she seems to be the um, the leader uh, uh, well, against this too, so I'm sure she has connections with with people who can. Well, but I mean, there, there's there's a neighborhood the table, right? uh, group that came up to f- help fight against this and such uh, that's mentioned in the articles. There was a neighborhood group that was created 
to fight well, this well house. yes yeah that was created to fight this house so i wanted to ask you guys i mean we we've talked a little bit about historic preservation and some other things but how much of this may come down to um the fact that first off if if he wanted to move the house back I'm sure he would have done so. Apparently, this house, this lot is kind of long and, and narrow, mm-hmm. and so he had to put it closer to the street than maybe he would have liked to. But um, but how much of this might be just the fact that this person across the street, as you just said, uh, Evan, is used to seeing that something we didn't mention until just a moment ago. This was an empty lot and had been. You know, for as long as the person living across the street has owned this house, who built her house only about six, seven years ago herself. So I don't know if hers was a, a remodel or a new house or, or, or not. It's not mentioned, but you well, know, she's walking out her front door for six years, seven years since she built this house, and she sees this beautiful empty lot across the street, and now she has something that maybe architecturally she doesn't like. And on top of that, it's a house across the street. I don't like this house across the street, so I'm going to do everything I can to fight against this, regardless of the style. I mean, do you guys think if he had built something like her house right across the street, if, there, if she would still have an issue? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> well, you know, her being, you know, I, I think this is a, it, to me, it's a, it's just a, a battle of, you know, design sensibilities i mean her being a realtor she's probably opinion is pure opinion i mean you know she's you know her being a a a realtor you know she's trying to sell the neighborhood as this charming old southern you know neighborhood and you know she's trying you know she's got probably her own little niche on exactly what she's trying to sell and this now does not conform to her idealized neighborhood I mean, to be quite honest with you, walking around this neighborhood, and if I want to interject my, you know, design, um, you know, my opinion, it's not nothing, it's not anything to write home about. I mean, it's it's an old neighborhood, and it looks old. It looks a little run down, you know, and if nothing else, he's adding value by adding a new building, you know, a new modern building, you know, we won't, let's just not say modern, but a new building. Contemporary. Um, they that, keep calling it. Well, I, I I didn't want to just say modern, you know. St- I'm, I'm just saying it is a new building, right. um, and you know. So now you don't have a vacant lot. You actually have a home that's you know contributing to the tax base there, and it should, you know, newer homes or renovated homes and stuff should actually be bringing up the property value. So everybody should be, you know. Um, relishing the fact that there's you know not a vacant lot or a dilapidated old house that you know is condemned or whatever um and that you know we're you know you're going to have a um a better tax you know you're you're having you know more taxes come in and all this other stuff and it it just it's you know it comes down to the argument of style you know and you know what's your style or you know it, it goes back to how i get so annoyed with you know well you know, is that art or is that art or why do you call that art and not that kind of stuff? I mean, you know, it, everybody has their own taste and this may not conform to her taste, but it conformed to his taste. It conformed to that family's taste. That's what they wanted. 
you know, it was within their, you know, legal rights and the design guidelines and everything else for them to build that house. And they should have been able to build that house, which thankfully now they are. But yeah, have you guys, I, I don't know if this happens where you are, but like if I go down to the beach down here uh, near LA, like Laguna Beach or, or whatever, um, whenever there's a, somebody's doing an addition to their house or new construction, they have to put up like these temporary, uh, like furring strip houses. I don't know if you've seen these things, <laughs> but they're, it's just like this frame that kind of outlines like what an elevation mm-hmm. would be. And there's like, orange uh, ribbons flying on it and and stuff and basically what it is is it's it's showing you how much of your view this place is going to block oh wow (laughs) and so i think you know i'm just guessing i don't know what this thing is called i've tried to do a search for it before and i I, i've been unsuccessful in finding anything but so yeah i mean if you have a neighbor next door they get to live with this temporary frame for some set amount of time next to them and if it blocks their views, they get to complain about it. And so so that what we're witnessing happening here in Oakwood doesn't happen, right? So they're going to say, yeah, this doesn't work for me. This is blocking my view straight out this window or whatever, I'm assuming. But mm-hmm. that's why why I think they do it is so that it doesn't get to the point where it is 80% done. And then, you know, all of a sudden there's all these lawyer and legal fees and um, – you know, permit, you got it, all of this financial investment that you're into the house with, plus the legal stuff on top of that, you have to go back to zero. I mean, talk about a terrible situation, right? So, um, have you guys, do they do that where you are at all? Uh, here in the Bay area? Yes. There, there are views of the Bay and, um, views of the different Hills and, and things around here. So, um, yeah, they will put, um, in fact, uh, just in the neighboring town, there's a house uh, where they did do, and in fact, there was no necessarily view here, but it was in more of an historic area of this town. And so they uh, they built essentially a, a box with the gable and just uh, in two buys uh, to show the neighborhood. This is essentially what this um, what this addition is going to look like. Yeah. And, um, and I know that that was up for a little while. I don't know if there was, uh, if there was a set time that it had to be up for and then take public comment. Um, I'm sure there's, um, uh, something like that, but in other areas, uh, it is common to put up, uh, these polls to, uh, show where the, where the view is going to get blocked. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I have seen that before and it, it is fairly common when you do have a view that, that could be impacted and that that's pretty sensitive, uh, you know, around the Bay Area, especially anywhere where you have uh, views of the Bay or San Francisco and stuff like that from the East Bay uh, out here. So uh, those those are critical and, and very important and, and certainly need to be addressed. I mean, that that seems reasonable to me that you can't just go build a big giant building in front of somebody else's view of San Francisco and say, you know, it's my right. It's my property. So I think there are definitely rights uh, for for those uh, surrounding neighbors uh, for that. And in this case, you know, this person was given the opportunity multiple times to make her case and she lost each time. And, you know, until she went further and somehow, you know, ended up with the three to two vote um, on the review board. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, Mr. Cherry did everything he was supposed to do. And 
was building the house and, you know, yeah, he's going to have to now live with a neighbor that's going to not be very nice to him, but, uh, you know, which is, could be unpleasant as well. Yeah. But, who's uh, going to use the porch now? Jeez. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, hi, neighbor. You know, probably yeah. not likely. She should be throwing, yeah, she'll probably be throwing eggs at his house or something, but, um, you know, but anyway, so I, I think, you know, those, those types of things we do have around here in the Bay area. So it, uh, you know, it can happen. It wasn't a part of this process because it didn't need to be, or that wasn't part of this at all. And he went through everything that he was supposed to. And, um, you know, I think the house should stay where it is, but it, I'd like to take one, one last kind of look at this and, and kind of, you know, kind of go up to the 30,000 foot level and get your guys' opinion on, you know, how should, you know, I think we kind of gotten an idea tonight, but, but how should we address these historic neighborhoods and districts when it comes to architecture and new buildings and, or not necessarily additions to historic buildings, but let's take, you know, this type of situation in say, you know, your neighborhood or, you know, your area that you're uh, working in or living in, you know, how should we kind of handle these sorts of issues or are the current standards, of how these things are handled through the secretary of interior standards or through your own local historic preservation commission. Do you, you know, is that enough? I've been of two minds of the historic districts. Um, you know, one time I was, you know, pro then against then pro then against and all this other stuff. But, you know, the more and more I work with, you know, historic buildings or, you know, renovations and additions. And, and I've always been, you know, sensitive to the fact that, um, the one thing that we as Americans don't have a good value on is our own history. And so, you know, we're always like mowing down historic districts or, you know, historic neighborhoods and stuff to build a freeway or things like that. You know, I mean, there was this absolutely beautiful um, neighborhood in downtown uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, that you know, it was called the Gaslight District. Well, they mowed it down so that they could build, you know, kind of like the off-ramp interstate, you know, from the interstate. And, um, you know, so you don't get those character back, you know. And now the city uh, doesn't feel the same. You know, it, it feels like it's missing something. You know, and I really appreciate, you know, almost every building, you know, every era of building. Um, some more than others, but... Um, I like the fact that we have historic districts, um, in historic preservation societies put into place to protect, um, our history. Sometimes they're a little overbearing and a little far reaching because they think that, um, they don't seem to have the grass, you know, I mean, I'll say going into the, uh, Annapolis elementary school project, I was fearful because I'd never really worked with, you know, a historic district at this kind of level where, you know, here we are dealing with a pre-colonial war town that had all of this, you know, air and history about it. And here I am going in and I know that, you know, most likely what I would like to do is a more modern addition, you know, I'm like, Oh, you know, how am I going to be able to deal with it? And, learning the process, learning and dealing with and working with the, you know, the commission and learning the process, learning, you know, reading over the guidelines, reading over the 
Department of Interior guidelines and stuff, it's really not that hard to work within the historic um, district to actually get something that is more contemporary or modern or something like that, that works with, you know, I want to say works with harmony of, you know, the district and all that other stuff. And I, I just think that, you know, they're, they're good if they themselves understand their role and responsibilities when they become too overbearing and they think that, you know, um, no, it has to be like this. It has to be a time capsule and you can't do anything, but, you know, um, contribute to the, uh, the, the time capsule, uh, feel of it and nothing else, you know, uh, will work. That's when, you know, it gets a little out of control because, you know, um, Neil, you were talking about your neighborhood with all of this, these eclectic building styles and stuff. Um, I think that's what actually is probably one of the best representations of, and, and I don't want to start, you guys can start humming the national anthem here, you know, but some of, some of the best representations of America is the eclectic collections of all of our buildings and styles and stuff like that, because it kind of shows this progress, you know, it shows, you know, people, you know, different styles living together and then, you know, the progress of, you know, throughout the year. So it's, it's a, it's not a time capsule. It's a timeline. Um, and that's what I think historic preserve, you know, historic preservation should help contribute to is not the time capsule, but the timeline. I like that a lot. I think we should leave it there. All right. But I'd like to hear what our listeners have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I know that there's plenty of people out there that have had the, you know, very similar, experiences and you know especially working residentially well and we have a lot of listeners in that area too exactly so i don't know if that makes a difference or not but uh, it might so yeah tell us what you think tell us on a uh, facebook page or comment on this episode so you can either go to facebook.com slash arcaspeak podcast or you can go to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash episode slash 44 and leave a comment. And again, if you sign up for the show notes, you'll get links to all this stuff. Um, one of the things we should note is that there's going to be a link to a Twitter parody account for modern Oakwood, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah. And uh, all the other stuff that we've talked about this episode. So make sure you sign up for that at arcaspeakpodcast.com and you'll get the show notes delivered to your mailbox when the show goes live. And also don't forget what kind of prompted tonight's episode were the phone calls that we've received. And so uh, if you've got comments and you'd like to leave them on the, this episode and do it as a voicemail, if we can, uh, if we can use those, uh, if we get your permission, let us know. Maybe we can intersect some of them on a future show. Uh, that number is 415-484-8496. So give us a call and let, you, let us know what you think. All right. All right, everyone. So don't forget to go to iTunes and leave those comments. Go right now. Go right now. If you like the show. That's right. Yeah. If you don't like the show, why are you still listening? <laughs> yeah. And with that, thank you very much. Good night, guys. Good night. Bye.
Yeah.